Hello everyone, welcome back. This is episode number 14 of the New Era Sense podcast. I'm Nick. I'm joined by Brennan. Um, he's actually going to be our new co-host for some time now, so uh, get used to it. I mean, he's a, he's a good co-host and you know I really enjoy having him here. And um, good to have you, Brennan. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty great. It's nice. Uh, always a pleasure to join the show, Nick. So I'm happy to be back. And, you know, we're less than a week away from puck drop. So I, mm-hmm. I am ready to go. It's been, what, almost a year since we've had Ottawa Senators hockey. So, um, yeah, this this can't come soon enough. And there's a lot to look forward to this year. So I'm doing great. Yeah, you know what? We also did our fantasy draft today. So I'm um, sort of getting back into the mood of, you know, starting a new season and getting things going. I'm pretty happy with my team. I'm not going to lie. I know the the New Era Sense boys, uh, we all did a draft this morning. And, you know, they, they're looking to have some pretty scary teams on there. But I, I'm confident in my team. Um, I've got some pretty good players on there. I didn't get the chance to to, to pick up Timmy, but uh, who knows? I might, I might get him along the way. So uh, you, you like your team or... Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty stoked. It was funny how how fast all the Sens guys got picked up. Um, you can tell that we're all fans because what I think Shabbat went like 50 picks higher than he was supposed to, and Stutzel might have been 100 picks earlier than he was supposed to. But I mean, there's, it's always fun to have him on your team if you're rooting for him. Um, I, I'm I'm pretty stoked with my team. I got a lot of heavy hitters. I ran some some Excel algorithms to try to figure out what players I wanted to pick. So I'm. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty stoked. Every, everything lined up for, all right for me. Yeah, that's a good point that you made, though. I, I we all picked up some sense players pretty, you know, fairly fairly early in the in the draft. But I think you know, um, the the point I have to this is that if you look around the league, a lot of teams and a lot of fans sort of sleep on our players. Um, that's the impression that I get. A lot of player, a lot of teams, uh, a lot of fans aren't too high on on you know Brady Kachuk, Thomas Shabbat. Um, but if if you ask any sense fans, those guys are like, you know, um, very, you know, they're obviously our favorite players, is what I'm trying to say. But um, I, I don't know. I, I think it makes sense for us to pick them as uh, high as we can. Um, you know, I I didn't get the chance to get any guys, but uh, I did get Matthew Kachuk pretty early on, so that's a good pick for me, and I'm happy with that. So. Yeah, I think I think it's a good a good point you bring up. Like, I think that especially with fantasy hockey, I, a lot of a lot of my friends because I'm from close to Toronto. So whenever I do drafts with them, I'll notice like the Tavares, Matthews. I like Matthews sometimes goes higher than what like Dry Saddle, or I think one year he went higher than uh, McKinnon either even. And it's like you always and I think it's also comes down to when like you want to watch your favorite players, and obviously our favorite players are going to play for our team. Well more often than not. So I think, I think that's a big part of it, but I agree. And I think that um, with where we finished last year, a lot of guys on Ottawa weren't necessarily fantasy relevant, but um, mm-hmm. things are, things are picking up. And if their power play starts to connect, like um, things start clicking, I think Shabbat's due for a breakout year. Like, and I, I not last year, he didn't, he wasn't outstanding, but the year before um, mm-hmm. he started off on a tear, he was leading defenseman in points. Um, yep. So yeah, I, I definitely see a good cause for him. I don't, I don't know that Tim Stutzel is going to be a huge producer yet, just because rookies don't typically put up a ton, a ton of points. But um, nonetheless, he's he's going to have a serious role, and I, I think that um, he'll definitely be getting power play time almost all, off the hop, in my opinion. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, and I think we sort of 
Um, we saw today that there was sort of um, competition going on. I think we all expected that to happen in training camp. We have, you know, there's only so many spots open for, for some of these guys. And today it was confirmed um, there's three spots um, for six guys. We don't know who, um, but you'd have to imagine that, you know, those six guys are, or at least some some young players, I think, not all of them are going to take the jump this year and make the team right away. So in terms of those three spots that are open and six guys fighting for it, um, who do you think that is and, and, and why? Yeah, well, I mean, so I think, I think the big thing it comes down to is that they don't, they don't want to hand anyone a spot. They, even, even with the season that Josh Norris had last year, um, showing just how great he was, like how, how he could dominate the AHL, um, e- even with that being named to the all-star team, I think that they still don't want to just guarantee any, any of their, um, prospects a place. I think they, w- they kind of want, Hey, you gotta, you gotta earn your dinner kind of, kind of idea. So I think that that's, that's why they're, um, pushing the internal, um, competition, which I think is good because you, you can't, you no one can have anything given to them. I think that that's, mm-hmm. um, can definitely be problematic, but, um, I would imagine that, um some of those spots are well obviously um logan brown and norris are um two of the six guys that are fighting for them um i would think formington might be in that mix as well um and then i think it kind of comes down to um okay who are the guys that could possibly be healthy scratched and um for me that would probably be maybe anisimov um paul and Paquette, I want to say. Um, I guess like my my speculation is is just that speculation, but th- that would be me. What, who who would you think? Yeah, that, it, it's sort of tricky because um, if you if you analyze the whole team, I mean, there's no position, um, there's no you know, there's no roster spot that's really fully given to maybe a select few guys, and I think that's really interesting because we we've brought in so many players that the way. When I look at the lineup right now, I actually have no idea how the lines are going to be opening night. I have no idea, and I don't know what to expect. And I said this last episode um, that I don't, I don't think we'll have the same lineup, you know, at least once, uh, at least twice uh, throughout the whole season. I think with the taxi squad and everything that's going to happen, we're never going to see the same lineup um, more than once. So um i don't know i really don't know but the, obviously you brought good points up with uh brown and norris you'd have to just assume that those guys are at least fighting for one spot yeah i don't see both making the team um brown's one guy i really hope that takes a bigger step this year and really solidifies his role with the team um norris i i don't mind seeing him um have another year in the ahl um, we've seen it with Batherson, so I would lean on Brown for that one spot. But the other two guys, I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, you'd have to assume that Drake Batherson is is trying to implement his position in the lineup. Um, you know, I don't know. And maybe Formington as well. It's really tricky, but um, I'm still trying to get my head over that. So it's just interesting to, to hear about those three positions being available. Um, but I, I still think, you know, we shouldn't overanalyze it and that uh, everybody's going to get a chance this year. Well, and I think that's just it. I think at the end of the day, how many how many players did Ottawa have um, on, on their team last, is it last year? And I mean, like different players um, that were on their yeah. roster. It was probably one of the highest out of any of the NHL teams. I'm sure it was um, because they give a lot of their guys a shot. And that's part of a rebuild is you have to figure out, okay, 
who fits in where, um, what guys are ready, what what guys are are going to be uh, the, the right mix. I think that's what it comes down to, and that's that's what it, Pierre Dorian is just giving DJ Smith options. He's just saying, okay, you want you want another tough guy? Why not? You you, you only got four. Let's bring <laughs> in uh, let's bring in Erica Branson or. But you know what I mean? Like they're, they're throwing in all these extra little pieces that he can kind of tinker with um, and really figure out what is the right blend and, and what works best for their team. And I think that's awesome. But I think that having that ability this year too is even more awesome because we do have the luxury of having a taxi squad. We have the luxury of having more players be able to travel with the team. And that's something that while we want Belleville to be really strong and we want to see Belleville have a really good unit and potentially compete to win it all this year um we also they they also in ottawa um i would imagine want want to give these kids their shot they want to they want to give them their opportunity that they deserve um and i think that the taxi squad and everything just gives them the ability to do that so i think for the prospects themselves if they're not drawing into the lineup frequently enough they'll probably just get sent sent down to the hl and i'm talking about the top prospects so i'm talking about uh, Josh Norris, um, even Vitaly Abramov, um, Formanton, uh, Logan Brown, Eric Brandstrom, any of the guys who can work on their game or like who are, who are still developing. I think they're, they would rather have them playing top AHL minutes um, than being a scratch some nights and being in the lineup on other nights. Um, so I think it, it's more likely that either they're going to make the team or they're not, um, but th- they're still going to get stints. Um, and that's yeah. one thing that's so nice. And thank God, uh, Ottawa's farm teams in Belleville now instead of being in um, like yep. Hampton where it used to be because now with COVID protocols like the farm system and everything really isn't that that different you're not going to have um, the same quarantine measures as you would if you called someone up from playing in the states so um, so yeah it's 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 good I think Ottawa's probably pretty happy with with that situation and and I was just going to bring up the point that there's been talks that Belleville and other AHL teams uh, might be playing at the you know at the the home rinks for their respective NHL teams. So Belleville would be playing in Ottawa, and you know Laval would be playing in Montreal, um, Toronto, Toronto. But um, yeah, so you you could imagine if that's the case, um, if the Belleville team is training and playing in Ottawa at the CTC. Um, you can imagine that most of these guys are going to be around the other NHL guys. And I think that's a great way to sort of incorporate and keep a tab on all our guys in Belleville, right? Um, you sort of build chemi- uh, chemistry off the ice. You sort of practice with the NHL team. It, it's not as hard to bring in a guy uh, onto the main team uh, when you need. So I think that's a good advantage as well. Um, so I'm not too worried. And I, if I see a guy like Norris being set down and playing the AHL this year, um, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing overall, and especially if they have the chance to, you know, play in Ottawa. I think it'll, it'll ultimately still be a good uh, way to develop um, our young players. So I, I think there's a lot of cool things that are happening this year, and I'm not, not too worried, especially with that taxi squad situation. It, it should be cool to see how it plays out. I mean, we've never had a situation like this before. Um, but I'm not too worried. I think Dorian and Smith really know what they're doing with their younger players. And um, I don't think we should underestimate that because uh, Dorian, Dorian he's, he's a scout before he's a GM. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to develop these guys. And uh, you look at the AHL team, they're, they're, they're led by Trent Mann, which is a very good coach. Um, so I'm not too worried. I think this year is going to be cool. It's just about you know seeing who makes the team 
um, at the end of the day. But uh, I think we should have some surprises this year that might uh, lead to some really cool um, games and, and really cool appearances on this team. Yeah, for sure, man. I think I think there's going to be a couple guys um, who who absolutely step up, and and they're just gonna they're gonna they're gonna see their opportunity, and they're not gonna go back down. Um, kind of like Drake Batherson when he came up for a second stint last year. I think like when he he was back up, he really asserted himself, and there was a lot of nights where he was Ottawa's best player. And I, yeah. I honestly think that I, I can't imagine uh, Drake's going back. I, I would think that Drake's Drake's there as long as he's playing at that same level. But I, I'm looking for that. I like I wouldn't be surprised if Eric Brandstrom, for instance, shows up, starts playing, and they're like, damn, well, all right, you, you got a spot, kid. Like you're 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 showing your potential. You're that dominant player. Um, same with I saw so they, they're rotating that um Dadanoff and Tachuk uh Kachuk combo with um between Colin White, um yep. Logan Brown. Yep and josh norris and i'm mm -hmm. personally i'm a huge advocate for having logan brown on that line because i just think that if there's anyone that's going to be able to finish logan brown's amazing passes it, it's going to be dadnov dadnov's a finisher he's so good in that bumper spot um that's where he makes his money he made like finishing off those jonathan uberdo feeds is is what got him paid that's what was getting him 30 30 goal seasons so i think that he's gonna need someone with that elite um, creativity to produce at a high clip and I think that Logan Brown is just the perfect guy for that so I'm, I'm just really hoping that there's some chemistry there fingers crossed I, I don't know what's going to come obviously I, I would love to see Josh Norris on the team too but yeah my point my point being is that I, I, I think that um, I think there's going to be one or two guys at least that that step up and are just like hey I'm here I've arrived and they're going to have some great rookie seasons this year and you made a good point because I actually thought um, I, I, I thought about this when relating to Colin White. I, I thought, okay, um, Colin White is, is proven to, you know, perform with good players. You've seen this at the World Junior when he played. Um, you saw him in his first year in the NHL. Um, and obviously he played with Kachuk and um, Stone when he's had the most success, right? Last year, sort of a bit of a different situation. Didn't necessarily have the best line mates on his line. Uh, but you had a guy like Dadnov and obviously Kachuk that he's familiar uh, with. You had a good, you have two good wingers on the line with Colin White. I think that's the time for him to actually perform, and um, I think it, it helps him. But if you had a guy like Logan Brown on that line, um, it could equally benefit Logan Brown as well. Because um, if you think of Logan, he he's a guy who who I think as well needs to play with good players and able to um, actually get the most out of him. And um, I think you should at least be giving him this opportunity. It's it's sort of outdated in a sense that um, he, he, he's supposed to be an NHL starting uh, forward in our lineup at this point. We drafted him and uh, with the 11th pick, right? You'd assume at this time. Are you, are you, a, are, you a, are you his agent or? It sounded uh, like the statement they made last year, but no, I, I think, you know, it's his time to really make the team. And uh, the best way for him to succeed this year is to put him in a good role with good players um, supporting him. I think he excels at that. And it's going to be that make or break year. You'll give him every opportunity you can. And if it doesn't work out, that's your cue to, hey, maybe it's not the best fit for you here. But you can't, you can't just give up on him without giving him all the situation and all the experience for him to actually excel. 
Um, and I think that's why they put him on a, uh, on a big uh, line with those two guys and maybe a bigger situation for him. That's just my two cents. And it applies to Colin White as well. Um, but it'll be interesting to see it. And, and I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen again, but i um, really excited to see um, what comes of it and uh, keeping tabs on training camp. No scrimmages to watch. Uh, that doesn't stop me though. I've got uh, my, I've got sends on alert right now, so sort of just keeping tabs on that. And uh, we should hear soon. I mean, we we're seeing Whoa. Timmy in two days. Yeah, it's it's coming. But you know what, Nick? You know, you know what might keep you from from seeing it soon is um, is if we keep having these COVID outbreaks. We uh, yeah. we haven't even started we we haven't even started the season yet, and uh, mm. we've we've already had our first official outbreak. So the Dallas yeah. Stars are um, rescheduling their first three games of the season. It's going to look like uh, due to six players and two player personnel um, testing positive for COVID nineteen, um, which obviously it's uh it's tough to hear but i think i think it's expected nonetheless this season i think there's gonna have to be a lot of accommodation and a lot of um changes in the schedule makeup games things like that because um unfortunately this is a really strong reality but uh yeah what, what are your thoughts on that yeah man i was sort of hopeful that everything would go smoothly um we've seen you know the nhl handle the situation last year with the bubble and everything went really well for the most part um so I, I sort of had hope that they'd pull it off this year. It, it is a different situation because everybody's going to be playing home games. Um, everybody's going to be traveling to different cities. So I, I, I sort of had it in the back of my mind that something would happen, um, but not not this early. And I, I thought with the tra training camp protocols that everybody would be at least isolated in a sense um, with their respective teams. But um, I can't say I'm surprised as well. Um, COVID really takes you, um, you know, it takes you by surprise and you, you, you never really expect it. Um, uh, but to see that there's six players and two staff members at this time when the season is starting in five days, um, yeah, man, I, it's tricky. And I think we've also seen it with Columbus as well. Um, they came out today and said they're, they're holding out seven, 17 guys from their practices, which is obviously not a good look. Um, I don't know if there's <laughs> not, a <laughs> not a good look. Not a good look, and it's a, a, it's a scary situation. Mode. Yeah, man, and exactly like how does that work? What are you gonna do then? Um, so I don't know how the NHL chooses to handle it, or what's gonna come from it, or you know what they do. Um, but I'm sort of worried, man. I don't want any of our guys to be affected by this, and I really hope that the uh, we do get a full season with these players. I, that's that's my main hope right now. Yeah, man. I, I mean, I, I'm completely with you. And, and that's the thing that's so scary about this too is, um, well, you know, like for, first and foremost, like health and well-being is, is above all like that. That's what really matters. And um, it, at the end of the day, like, yeah, we, we want to watch some sports and we want sports to be back, but we also want to make sure that these players aren't putting themselves in situations that are just unsafe. And, and really like if something bad were to happen, um, it'd be brutal. I know like Carl Anthony Towns, I think it was his mom passed away um, in the summer from COVID and just, just stuff like that. Like we, we got to remember that um, these guys are, are people too. Um, but yeah, aside from that, um, we, we've seen success. We've seen leagues do really well um, with similar schemes. Um, even with players testing positive and things like that, they're still able to kind of get through those adversities uh football like the nfl it, it's so different in comparison to hockey because 
if you had 10 players out on an NFL team, you could still play that week. If we if yeah. we're missing 10, 10 NHL players, I mean, Thomas Schwartz can be playing 50 minutes a night instead of 30. So um, it's, it's just one of those things where I think that just due to how hockey works and um, yeah, just the situation it's, it's so hard, but um, I mean, I, I like the idea of the Canadian division. I like I like the idea of divisions as a whole. I think that it kind of gives them a lot more control. Um, obviously there's no perfect situation. We're going to have positive tests. Games are going to get rescheduled. The stuff's going to happen. It, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be great. It, it already isn't. The season hasn't even started yet. We're already rescheduling games, but I think it's going to get done. And I think that they're doing it with the best like in the the best that they can given the circumstances i think yeah. that they're the way that they've done the the divisions the way that they've broken everything down the way that they're doing okay we're gonna limit travel you're gonna play two games here three games here kind of thing like ju- just to try to take that approach um i think that they're doing the best that they can and um all, all we can hope is that uh, is that it works out and, and that people, people can try, can stay as healthy as possible. Yeah. And you know, they're also su- surrounded by very smart people and people who are, you know, are, are paid to organize these types of things and make these, these things work. And, um, you know, 10 months ago, if you would have told me about a bubble situation happening, I probably would have laughed because I'd never thought they could pull it off or what, what even is a bubble, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, so I think they have, they have smart people working in the right places and I, I fully expect it to work, but, um, this thing, nothing really matters when it comes to COVID. I mean, anything could, could really happen. And that's what I'm sort of worried about, um, seeing it so early and affecting different teams around the NHL. I'm worried, but, uh, with the vaccines and everything, I mean, hopefully eventually, uh, the situation will at least be under control and less restricted for these NHL teams if they're all vaccinated or whatnot. Um, it, that will come with time. Um, but things sh- should start, you know, coming on to the horizon soon enough, I would I would imagine anyway. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's just it. I think it's it's we're all figuring this out for the first time. Um, so and and they're figuring it out for the first time too. But um, you're right, there's we've come so far as a society with, with this. Um, so I think that just the the advances that we've had um have been incredible and and the ability to adapt kind of on the fly has been really good and i mean I, I i hate to say it but i am also thankful that we're in canada um i know that there's certain areas in the states at least that just don't have the same um social distance protocols and things of that nature it, it, closures and stuff like that like i mean in ontario right now we're in a full on lockdown like I, I leave my house there's nowhere for me to go everything's closed so um, it's just one of those things where I, I think that like, at least we're kind of taking those measures. And I think that that, um, might, might limit the chance of something happening, um, in our province, at least I, I'm not, I'm obviously this stuff can still happen. Um, but, but at least like it, it does limit it a bit, um, a bit more than, um, areas that might not have the same measures. That's all. Uh, exactly. And you know what, let's move on from the COVID stuff. Cause I think in a sense, <laughs> People are just tired of hearing it, right? And yeah. it's always it's always something new uh, regarding COVID. 
every single week, right? So um, who knows how next week's going to look like. But uh, I'm hopeful Timmy's supposed to gear up in some Senza gear in two days as the time of this recording. Um, so it might be out tomorrow. So in a sense, it's it's a day away uh, for, for these listeners right now. I'm super pumped to see Timmy in red, black, and white. Oh, man, I, I, I can't wait. Um, something I, I've been, you know, anticipating since the draft and, uh, dude, we're not far away to see him play his first game against the Leafs. And, um, we sort of actually got some, some news on Jake Sanderson, obviously post winning the world juniors, uh, bringing him the gold medal for team USA. Good for him, obviously. Um, as a Canadian, I'm still a bit bitter, but it's Bad, fine. <laughs> but, no, uh, I was catching myself. I was catching myself cheering for Jake, and then I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah. I'm supposed to be supposed to be on the other side." But he played so good that game, man. He lay yeah. a big hit, and I was like, "Let's go!" And then I was like, "Wait, that was that just led to a goal against Canada." But anyways, yeah. <laughs> so um, Derek actually tweeted out. He said that Jake Sanderson actually had the chance to chat with Timmy. Um, during warm-ups, he sort of just said, hey, pulled him to the side and had a little chat. I'm very excited for that. Obviously, it's nice to see that at least they've talked to each other. They know who they are. Obviously, they they must know who they are. They went two picks apart. But uh, I think the little things for Sens, uh, fans right now are just hyping us up. And just to hear that Sanderson had the chance to talk to Timmy, yeah, man, cool stuff. <laughs> I'll no, focus I- on that all day. <laughs> no, for sure. I think I think the big thing is that is just the fact that Sanderson reached out, right? I think like, yeah. and, and it kind of just goes to show. I mean, we we know that Brady Brady's a great guy. I, he might be like other other teams might not think so when he's mm-hmm. doing his antics and everything else. He's kind of like the nicest dick of all time. But <laughs> um, he, uh, <laughs> but like just the, Richard. but like he, yeah, <laughs> a good Richard. Um, but no, yeah. Like, and he, man, like, like that video that I, I retweeted as well, like of, um, from TSN, that TSN posted of him at the world juniors going through and like thanking everyone, um, on the ice cruise for, for that outdoor game, um, just going around and, and thanking them for their work. And like, I think that Dorian might've said it a good 300 times in all of his press conference that he's focused on character guys. Um, but <laughs> I, I think, I think that he has stayed true to that and bringing in good character guys. And I think that it's going to go a long way. Cause I think that like he's laid out, like uh, from, from what we can tell, like these guys seem like leaders. Sanderson seems like a leader. Stutzel seems like a leader. Um, I mean, obviously to Chuck seems like a leader. Um, so does, so does Shabbat. Um, so I think like with those guys there and then all the bonds that they have, you have Norris and Brady, and then you have, um, JBD knowing Clevin Pinto and, uh, and and all of them playing with Sanderson. Like, I think that they're just doing everything they can to build up that locker room chemistry. It kind of goes back to Dorian saying that the locker room was broken and they needed to fix it after, um, reflecting on the Mike Hoffman and all the other trades, um, which is unfortunate. But at the end of the day, I, I think of a, like that locker room is a family. And if your family is mm-hmm. not getting along or you're not getting along with the people that you work with every day, if, if they're not brothers to you, then why are you going to want to win? Like where, where is, yeah. where is that passion going to come from? Where are you going to find that drive? Where's that motivation going to come when you have a, a sprained ankle and you're going out there and lying down and blocking a shot on it? 
um, you, you need to have that dedication. And I think that that all just starts with having good character people and, and, and wanting to play with the guys in the room. And I, I think that like, it's one thing to bring in talent, but to be able to make that ecosystem of all these people that can, can get along with each other like that, that's just, that's so huge. And, um, yep. yeah, it's just a whole other thing to be excited about. Yeah, I, and it, I think it was Trent Mann who said on TSN 1200 that the thing that stood out the most from Tim Stutz at the World, World Juniors was his leadership for Team Germany. And um, I think, you know, we sort of, we, we knew he was going to be the captain of this team. Uh, but just to see him go in and give it his all every single game and, and really, you know, be that leader on that team is really refreshing to see. Because I think, as you mentioned, um, that's a big focus for the Sens. And already we, we're, we're molding a team with a lot of friendship ties and a lot of connections already. Um, a lot of these guys are developing together, you know, if, if that's through <laughs> Nodak or or Belleville or, you know, past friendships. I, I think we have a really tight-knit group. And it's a bunch of young players all coming up at the same time. Um, so to have some guys to stand out and have some leadership character, um, I, I love to see that. And we've also heard that um, Brady Kachuk and Thomas Shabbat also reached out to Timmy when he got drafted to welcome him to the Sens. And I, that's great. And um, yeah, man, I, I really like the fact that Dorian is really putting in a team that's ready to win. And I think since that Uber video, um, we've we've come a long way and we've we've done a hell, lot, a hell of a lot. So um, man, I think that do. sort of was a breaking point and just push them to sort of focus and put an emphasis on leadership though. No, no, definitely. I, did you, uh, re, did you catch that tweet about um, Brady, Brady Norris and white quarantining together and just in playing yeah. uh, tackle football <laughs> on the house yeah. and all that. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I wouldn't want to see what that house looks like. I'm sure it's no. absolutely destroyed with Brady. And you know what? And Brady being part of these nerf commercials, you'd have to imagine oh. there's some nerf battles in there too, right? <laughs> yeah, I feel like that guy is going to be the same until he's 40 years old. Like I feel yeah. like he's just just a big just a big teddy bear. But oh man, yeah. like that's that that must have been a riot. I, I wish that we we could have got some live streams of what was going on in there. But it just yeah. it just just reminds me of a scene out of Step Brothers. Like just yeah, that, that, that's what those two weeks must have been like. It's just and nonstop I really hope beds and yeah. I really hope there's a stepbrother sequel and they just sort of find a way to cast uh, Matthew and Brady as their, <laughs> the new generation of step. I don't, I don't know. I'd I mean, love to. Let, let's it's be just, honest. Brady does look a little bit like oh, John yeah. C. Riley. Yeah. He like he, John C. Riley and, and Brady. I, that might actually be his father. It might, it might not be Keith. It's possible. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a thin image of him. Yeah. Mm. All right. So on the next subject, um, we had the chance to interview Darcy Tucker yesterday. I didn't get the chance to listen to the recording. So um, let's just talk about Darcy in a, a little bit, just to set up because the interview will be at, um, later on in this episode. If you're listening right now, um, later on in this episode, you can catch the Darcy Tucker interview. Uh, Steve and Dave had the chance to sit down with him. And I, I heard that um, he had some really cool things to see, uh, to talk about. So, um, what's your thoughts on Darcy Tucker? I mean, is he still a guy you, you despise or, um, you know, is, did, you, did you loosen up on him throughout the years? I mean, I think, I think he's one of those guys that you love to hate. Um, especially, <laughs> especially as a Suns fan. Um, I think if you talk to my like grandfather, he, he would still absolutely hate the guy, but I think just, just because I was, I was a little younger when it was happening. Um, I, I just, I, 
now when I look back at those rivalries, they just make me smile. Like it's not it's not a matter yeah. of like me hating Tucker anymore. I think at, in in the moment, yeah, like that guy that guy sucked. Like there was like that Alfredson hit into the boards though, um, and then and then going ahead and scoring that goal, like. It's one of those things where it's like, as much as we hate Tucker, I feel like we just came out on top of that. And like, they have so much more of a reason to hate Alfredson. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Like as a, as a Leafs fan, I can't imagine the, the hatred towards, you know, Chris Neal and, and guys like that. So um, it goes both ways, but I think, you know, overall people are people and um, there's no, there's no point to, to hate people in the long run. I mean, the rivalry was cool enough and, uh, we'll keep it at that. But uh, Darcy seems also, from what I've seen, seems like a very cool, down-to-earth guy. Um, obviously has a lot of years in the NHL. Um, so uh, it's going to be interesting to, to hear his thoughts on playing the Leafs and uh, playing the Sens and being on the other side of the rivalry. I mean, I've been stuck on one side and I, I've never really heard the stories about the other side of that rivalry. So to hear it from a player that actually played us and was in the, you know, the 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 middle of this rivalry, probably um, one of the main reasons that we hated each other so much was a guy because of Darcy Tucker. So just, just to hear him talk about the battle of Ontario will be really cool to listen to. And I think, you know, a lot of people will want to hear that. Oh, definitely. I, I think I like, I, I'm, I'm super excited for this. I think that this, he's, he's just such a, such an interesting, interesting thing to listen in on. It's not every day that you get to go back to those glory days. And I think as a Sens fan, like at, at least myself, like th- those were the best days of being a Sens fan. Like when we were um, in the 2000s or early 2000s, having those battles and um, just had those really competitive teams, and then ended up going to the cup final. But like just those battle of Ontario rivalries like that, that was just the, the highlight of it. And I hope that at some point we can get back to that. But like, Let's be honest. Like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess we do, we do have Brady, but, um, but yeah, like just, just the amount of haste that was built there um, between Tucker and between Neil and just, just the teams. um, It's great. And and I'm, I'm excited to hear it from what, from what I can tell Darcy seems like he's a really authentic guy. So I'm sure, Mm -hmm. I'm sure that the, the guys got some great stories out of him, and I'm, uh, I'm excited to listen to it. I'm sure all the listeners are too. And Im- imagine telling a Sens fan in, in you know, 2004, 2005, uh, Jason Spezza is going to be playing on the Leafs in 2020. I mean, um, <laughs> people would hate you for, for just saying that because I think that's how deep the rivalry was. Um, you would hate to hear that one of your, your favorite Sens players is playing on the Leafs because you just hated that team so much. Over time, we sort of lost that uh, – uh, that ignites uh, that that flame between us, but um, it's still very much there in terms of fan bases. Um, you see Leafs fans go at it with Sens fans on Twitter all the time, um, but I think th- it's not much more than that. Uh, the rivalry really takes place between fans more than the team on the ice. Um, but a guy like Brady could definitely bring some some of that back on the ice, and I'm really interested to see how that plays out. But should be cool to keep a tab on. So I think if if any year it's going to come back um, without the playoffs, like I think I think this is the year. Like this is yeah. when when we're going to be playing. Um, well, the Leafs, the Habs, Winnipeg, Calgary. I'm I'm so excited for the Calgary mm-hmm. games. Um, Chuck on Kachuk, but <laughs> like yeah. So like like I just think that if if there's a time that these robbers are going to get be, like built back up, it's it's going to be now. And and I sure hope it is. I I hope that like. 
I, I think that these three game series are going to just turn into mini playoffs where like they're just going to go in and just hate each other by the end of it, just be beat up. And I think that's probably why Ottawa got as tough as they did because they know that um, it's just going to be some grind games where they're just going to go at it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm super excited and I, I hope, I hope we can have that again soon and some, some competitiveness because let's be honest mm-hmm. in the last uh, three years, at least it's, it's been a little brutal watching. Well, I mean, I guess the Leafs haven't actually had any success in the playoffs. So it's been fun, but <laughs> um, it, it's been too bad not being able to challenge them when, and, and being the ones knocked them out in the first round instead of Boston. Yeah. So I'm looking oh, forward to going back to those days. That would be one hell of a time. And if, if it happened this year, can you look, can you just imagine a sense making the playoffs and getting past the first round before the Leafs are even able to do that? That would just be hilarious. And I think, you know, a lot of, We'd have, you know, the word against the, the Leafs fans for the next 10 years, we would say. We went through a whole rebuild, came out of it, made the playoffs, got through the first round before you even did in 20 years. So <laughs> joke's on you. It's fine. But um, I would just love to see that. And in other words, um, other news, sorry, there's there's been sort of a talk about Pierre-Luc Dubois. We've heard that uh, recently. It's been sort of circulating everywhere on Twitter. Um, since fans think he's the best fit for us, but there's another guy out there that's still unsigned, um, which is a really intriguing target. And I don't think, you know, it's necessarily a target the Sens should go for, but because he is unsigned. And I think we talked about this. If he is unsigned, um, within a few days, I don't think he's eligible to play this year. And that's Matt Barzal. Um, sort of a weird situation in New York, uh, New York Islanders right now because they do have to clear some sca- uh, some cap room. And uh, obviously, he's a big part of that team, and he's still not signed, and he is an RFA. So someone could still technically um, offer sheet him. So what's your thoughts on him, and do you think there's a contract um, getting uh, hammered out soon? Yeah, I mean... I don't honestly like I'm still a little confused about the um, Islanders cap situation because I know like on cap friendly they're they're just a hair under four million a year or four million of available space which obviously would not be anywhere close to uh, to enough to sign Matt Barzell but um, that that's without uh, Johnny Boychuk on long term injury reserve and I would imagine once he gets stashed there that's going to change it um, at least I believe that's without Johnny Boychuk on long term injury reserve. Um, can't quote me on that, but regardless, um, I would imagine that Barzell signing in, um, in, in New York or or for New York, at least that, that has to be their top priority. I, to me, it seems like he knows what he's worth and he's just waiting to get it. And I, I think that he probably identifies that (laughs) what happened with Tavares there, um, and how they lost their star, their star center. And Barzell was kind of like the silver lining to that because, Tavares left and they were like, well, you know, at least we have this man rocket of a 19 year old kid with perfect <laughs> hair coming in, putting up 85 points. Um, his first full season. Like let's, let's see where this goes. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe things aren't so bad. They go ahead and um, tear it up in the playoffs for the, like two, the next two years after that. And um, I think that, I think he, he is such a stud. I saw him last year in Toronto um, and, and they lost three, nothing against the Leafs, but like, he he makes the Islanders okay to watch. Like yeah. it, the, the Islanders are literally w- watching paint dry. Like watching New York play hockey is, is like watching the Guy Boucher Ottawa Senators. Like it is, 
just it, it hurts my brain. But having Mar Matt Barzell is a saving grace because the kid has so much skill. His edge work is incredible. Like the way that he just moves around like a figure skater, like he is he is beautiful to watch. And um, not just talking about his hair. And <laughs> I think that like that, like they, they realize that and like they they must know that, like, okay, this is our franchise piece. I would imagine it's just it's COVID right now. These players yeah. are signing for a lot less. Um, they, they're probably thinking, you know, like market values are changing. We don't know like what you're going to get this year, let alone like what market values are going to be next year. Um, we're already close to the cap. Who knows what their ownership is looking like, what kind of bows they're having financially. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that like, there's a lot in the air, but at the end of the day, they, they know they got to sign the guy. Um, I wish that a team had the balls to offer sheet them. I, I hate that no one is willing to even try it we had that one for uh sebastian aho is that last year or two years ago now um i don't even know what day it is but they for for montreal and like i just wish that a team would would be willing to do that with barzell because it would make things interesting and um i mean he's he's a franchise player hmm. yeah no doubt and i think you're you're bang on with um how the islanders are on the ice they're a pretty boring team to watch um, I did pay attention to to them a little bit when they added JG Pajot. I think he's sort of, you know, an electric player on the ice every time he's on the ice and one of my favorite players. So I like to watch a few of their games, but not too much more than that. Um, but if, if Barzell doesn't get signed this year, you could probably take the year off and get it paid just as much being a model. I mean, guy's a good looking <laughs> guy. So uh, I don't think he's in, he, he he's going to miss out this year. But ultimately, I do think he'll be signed. Um, it's just about how much and, and when, but uh, it's coming down the wire and I think something needs to give and uh, it'll be interesting to keep a tab on. I know a lot of sense fans are like, Oh, let's get Barzell. Let's get Barzell. Let's do something about it. But I, I don't know if um, Barzell is, is really looking out of New York Islanders. I haven't really heard much about that. I think he's just looking for his money's worth. Um, so I, I'd imagine that the New York Islanders are going to give it to him because they, they can't afford to lose their best player right after they lost Tavares. Um, so tricky situation, but ultimately I do think he gets signed. Yeah, no, I'm definitely with you there. I, I, I just don't think that they can afford it. And I think it's kind of similar to the William Nylander situation. They're probably just a bit apart on numbers and, and they're, yeah. they're working out the details, but He's at he's at training camp. He's not skating, but he's there um, and he's checking in. So I, I think like if things were really unpromising, he might not be. Um, but I, I I think they're close. I think I think that by like before the season starts, a deal will be done. I just have a gut feeling. I just I just think that's that's the situation. Lou doesn't really strike me as the kind of guy to be cheap. So I'm kind of surprised yeah. that he hasn't gone out and paid him, um, considering some of the other contracts. Lamorello is fired up, but. Um, but yeah, there, there must just be some other things looming that they need to figure out before it happens or, or just what that, that value is, but for the, like, at least sign the guy to a bridge deal. Like, that's what I don't get. Like, even if it's just for one year, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. And, and it's, it's weird because we've seen that some guys, especially like a guy like Duclair, who's representing himself this year, didn't really get the value he was looking for. Um, so, um, in Florida, I mean, and he didn't really get paid the, the amount that I think people were, were looking for and, and what he thought he was looking for. Um, but what's your thought on, on Ovechkin actually representing himself next year for contract talks? He's not getting an agent. He's going to do all the business by himself. Um, so what's your thought? That's one guy I think 
um, could really do it without an agent. I think he's proven. Obviously, it's Ovi. And uh, can you just imagine him heckling the GM just to get him the deal he wants? <laughs> I, don't know, I, don't know, I don't know what else he needs to say. Like, I score a goal. I win cup. Where's my <laughs> 12.5 million a year? Like, that's all. No. Like, that guy, that guy has done so much for the city of Washington. Like, they, yeah. hey, hand him a blank check. Let him write it. Like, I, I don't understand. Like, they, like, like, I mean, I guess they were in talks. And I think what they were saying was that it was three years around 12.5 a year um, going, going into this year. And then COVID hit. Um, and obviously with COVID, they're like, okay, everything gets messed up here. But I mean, it, it, it's Ovechkin. I, they would be dumb not to sign him. I think like, just like, it would be w- Carlson leaving for us. Um, but, but I think even, even bigger if, if they just, if they just let him walk. Um, so yeah, I, I, I can't imagine that they don't get a deal done, but, um, but yeah, I mean, good for him. I think if you're, I think if you're that good of a player too, not having an agent, isn't that big of a deal. Like Backstrom did it and that was fine. Um, and that's probably why Ovi Ovi's seen it is he's like, Oh, if Nicholas can do it, I can do it. Um, so I, I, I got a hole in one, like he can do anything. Um, so I think, I think he, I, I think he won't have any issues. It's just a matter of Washington needing to step up and and paying him based on the fact that he has done everything he can for that city. Yeah, and you know what? He actually announced that he was he wasn't planning on retiring in Washington. He wanted to play his last game in Dynamo Moscow, his hometown. Um, so he's been pretty vocal about that. He's let it known. So I think, you know, if he does come back with Washington, it won't be um, for, for more than two two years, I would say, maybe two, three years. And that would be his time to at least go to Moscow and play there. But um, yeah, man, it's just crazy to see and, and think that Crosby and Ovechkin's era are coming to an end. And um, just to be so super excited about the next generation of players and um, there's so many guys to look forward to. And, and it's, it's crazy because I always think about this today. Um, Crosby and Ovechkin probably don't have many years left in the league. And then in, in the 2023 draft, you got Matt Faye Mitchkov going up against Connor Bedard, which is giving me a lot of Sidney Crosby versus Alexander Ovechkin vibes. Um, two great players supposed to be, you know, the, the, the next big players for their country, a uh, big Russian, a big Canadian, and uh, yeah, so it's just crazy to think that Ovi and, and Crosby are coming to an end, and here we are welcoming uh, two great players into the league soon. So, yeah, and it's kind of crazy too because those those two teams are two of the only ones in recent memory that have been able to be competitive for the full duration. Like they haven't, yeah. neither of them had to go through a rebuild since since they've had Ovi since, since they've had their cores like the Ovi Backstrom, Kuznetsov, mm-hmm. um, Carlson kind of core even even before kuznetsov and then for pittsburgh the malkin crosby latang core like those those cores have been competitive year in and year out like going in it's like okay this team can make the playoffs um Mm -hmm. okay this team can win a cup and it it's it's been like that for so long and and it's crazy because even looking at how good chicago is was with taze and kane and everyone that they had and looking as good as la was with uh kopitar dowdy I mean, even when they had Carter and Mike Richards going going hard, um, but like even looking at those teams, they weren't able to stay competitive for as long as Washington and Pittsburgh were and mm-hmm. are. And I I would think that that they have to be two of the most successful franchises in the last uh, decade, if not two decades. But but yeah, it is crazy to think that 
um, they're they're coming to an end, and there's going to be a time when those teams are going to suck, and they're going to have to rebuild. And I think Pittsburgh's made it pretty clear that they're willing to just trade away draft picks just to just to extend that window as much as they can, because yep. I think that it's just inevitable. Um, I'm I'm curious as to what Washington's strategy is and and how they're going to overcome that because um, they do have some decent prospects in the pipeline like Connor McMichael and stuff like that coming up, but um, but yeah, no no franchise guys for sure. Yeah, and that makes me so much more excited as Sens fans just just to see that we are building such a good core of players and we have like those all star players we have those those very good promising guys um sort of you know reminiscent to chicago and what they did in in their era and their window of winning a cup um guys like taze duncan keith and patrick kane and you you look at us and we have you know brady kachuk tim stetzla jake sanderson thomas shabbat these are all looking like a championship building team and i'm very excited for the future and uh, this is our time and it's it's starting that's why we call ourselves new era sense here because it is a new era uh things are changing and i'm i'm so excited to watch uh, sense hockey in in the next 10 years yeah no for sure man i think like for me it's rebuilding a team um you, you need you need to have a core and those core coordinate needs to be like four to five players and i think within that core you need to have a superstar forward um, you need to have a power forward or two way, like strong defensive power forward kind of guy, Brady Kachuk, superstar Tim Stutzel. And then I think you need to have that offensive D that can, that has the ability um, in his prime to put up 60, 65, maybe even 70 points, Thomas Schbott. And then you need to have that D that can shut down other teams um, night in and night, night out, Jake Sanderson. So we like, in, in my opinion, like that, this has always been like what, what you need to build a franchise. You need that core and then everything else that you plug in uh, around that, um, it's all, it's all background noise. It's great. It's like, you want to make that all those extra pieces, just that much stronger. Like what Chicago did when they had that insane team of Andrew Ladd, Dustin Bufflin, Patrick Sharp, um, all that to complement Taze, Kane, Keith and Seabrook, Jarmelson, their decor w- was insane. Um, but, and I, I think that that's just it. And I think Ottawa's in a really good job. I think that, or at least my hope is, is that, um, those four players who I, who I really think are, are their superstars or, um, kind of just their, their perfect guys in, in their niche for what they do. Um, I think that, that that's going to be the key for them. And then they just have so many other pieces like the Logan Browns, the Josh Norris's, the Colin Whites, um, the Formanton, the Shane Pintos all those guys who are just going to complement it so well and could work their way into being core guys if they show that they're just that valuable. Um, but more importantly, earn kind of um, second line money and be able to be on that team and, and contribute with those guys. And um, yeah, I just, I, 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 I love what they're doing. I think, I think that they're just doing it all the right ways. Um, like we've talked about and super stoked for what the future brings. And, you know, well said. I mean, <laughs> it's not much more to it. And, um, yeah, I think it's just a very exciting time to be a Sense fan. And we've got lots to look forward to. But we are approaching close to an hour. And uh, we still have the uh, Darcy Tucker interview coming up. So we'll wrap this up right here. And we want to thank everybody for listening. And uh, yeah, stay on this and uh, tune into the interview. It's not one you want to hey, miss. I hear it's USA. very, very good. So with me today tune into that and uh, let us know what you think. Thank you. Uh, we have a very special guest today. Uh, he's a former NHLer. He played 947 games in the NHL, including 520 with the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's got 215 goals. 261 assists, 
and 1,410 penalty minutes. Let's welcome in Darcy Tucker. Hi, guys. How's it going? Good. How's it going, Darcy? Uh, amazing, actually. Um, you know, it's uh, it's been tough with obviously with COVID and stuff going on, but uh, we've been able to have our uh, kids at home with us and uh, spend a lot of time uh, just sitting around the dinner table and talking about uh, life. So it's been it's been a lot of fun for us as a family. Now, with COVID nineteen, have you have you done the whole COVID twenty, which is like you gained twenty pounds during this whole uh, process? I, I've tried to gain more than twenty, uh, but I didn't have that far to go uh when i started so <laughs> i i put on a bunch of weight uh post-career uh but uh you know i made a new year's resolution to get uh, my rear end back in shape so we're uh working working hard at it right now I, i've had that new year's resolution for probably six years it's just it fails me every year um, don't we all yeah <laughs> um so i'll jump right in it um in seven and a half years with toronto what would you say your most memorable moment is i mean it's, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs in the early 2000s. It was it was crazy, right? It, it wasn't necessarily about the superstars of the league back then. It was about the best games. What was your most memorable moment as a Leaf? Well, I'd, ha I'd have to say there's a couple. Um, number one, uh, none of this would have happened if I didn't get traded to the Leafs. So I remember that vividly. Uh, I was in Tampa Bay. I was at lunch with uh, Mike Sillinger and got a... Uh, he got a phone call because back in those days, they had the old brick phone and usually had to leave it in the car. And he had his phone with him at lunch and his phone rang. And I actually thought he was getting traded and uh, he passed the phone across the table to me and uh, <laughs> I was traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs. So uh, that was probably the moment that started it all, obviously. And then I just think for me, the, the passion uh, of the city of Toronto and um, you know, the livelihood, uh, liveliness of the city when the Leafs are playing, uh, just, it was immense. And I remember Saturday nights and playing against teams like Ottawa and Montreal and, and just the way the city was and, and the way the people were about the team. That's what, uh, my most vivid memories of playing for the team are. I think I think everybody knows who Darcy Tucker is. I don't care if you're a 16 year old, you know, Lee fan today. Everybody knows, but I think I don't think a lot of people know that you started off in Montreal. Yeah. Um, how was your time in Montreal? It was fun. Like, listen, uh, you get drafted to the Montreal Canadiens as a young kid. Uh, you know, it's a pretty special moment. Um, you know, you don't get much hockey out in Alberta when I was a kid uh, on the television set. Uh, so it was either you got the, the cross-country game, and it was either Montreal or, or Toronto. So there wasn't much back then for me to watch as a kid. So I saw a lot of the Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs play hockey. So um, getting drafted by them was a lot of fun. My dad wasn't happy. He tried to – I think he tried to throw the TV out of the window of the house uh, when I got drafted by Montreal because he was a avid um, Toronto Maple Leafs fan growing up as a kid. And then – <clears throat> excuse me, obviously an Oilers fan uh, being from Alberta. Nice. Uh, when you were a Leaf, it's no secret that that was at the peak of the Battle of Ontario. Like every regular season game felt like a playoff game. Every playoff game felt like a <laughs> finals game pretty much. Can you tell us about the locker room atmosphere for the uh, for both playoff and regular season games against Ottawa? Yeah, there it was a lot of fun. I think both for both sides. I think if you talk to anybody that played in that era for – the Ottawa Senators, they would say the same thing, you know. 
we were fortunate and lucky to to have that rivalry and and be in, in playoffs against each other. I think it really made for great television and great uh, hockey, not only for Ontario but all of Canada. I think you know you have two main rivals in in Canada now, and that's the Oilers and Flames because they're in the same province. And then you'd go straight to Ottawa and Toronto and. Um, man, facing each other four years in a row in the playoffs was, it was tough. It was hard hockey. It was physical. Uh, it was in your face. And, um, needless to say, we didn't like each other at the time, which I, I'm sure that all the fans knew that. And I'm sure all the fans didn't like each other either. So, um, but you know, the funniest thing about hockey and the greatest thing about hockey is when you retire, you become friends with a lot of these characters that you play against. And I've had some great conversations with Chris Neal and Chris Phillips and uh, I'm sure that uh, those guys didn't like us at the time either but uh, we've actually became uh, pretty good uh, buddies uh, going to a lot of these alumni events together. I loved your tweet when uh, Chris Neal retired <laughs> that, that, was, that was great um, any relationship with uh, Daniel Alfredson by any chance have you talked to him post retirement? I haven't seen Alfie actually um, I think that he does a lot of stuff uh, uh, close to Ottawa. Um, the boys, uh, uh, the Chris's like go across the country and did a bunch of work with us with Scotiabank. And that's how I got to know them uh, fairly well. And there's always that first uh, intimidation thing when you're running into somebody that you've gone to war with over the years. But uh, what two great guys to represent their organization um, from a standpoint of going across the country and, and talking about uh, the Ottawa Senators brand. I think they're just great, uh, cool dudes. And uh, but to go back to the offers, and I haven't got an opportunity to talk to him or anything. But listen, I will say this: I lived by the sword, I died by the sword, and uh, I didn't. Uh, um, you know, I wasn't the the most um, gentle guy on the ice, so I don't hold any grudge towards anybody that I ever played against from a standpoint of whether they got me or didn't get me. So <laughs> I was fortunate <laughs> enough to play in the league for as long as I did. So I, I listen, I got a lot of respect for uh, Daniel Alfredson and what he's done in hockey and what he's done for the Senators organization. That's awesome, man. Um, honestly, Alfie, if you're watching this, this is where you need to call Darcy Tucker. And our show could be the reason why you guys are friends again. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't think that uh, we could uh, say that we're ever going to be actual friends, but Maybe you have a golf game and uh, I could try to dig into his pocket a little bit. <laughs> fair, fair. Uh, um, like you said, you weren't always the nicest guy on the ice. Um, it's no secret you were kind of known as a tough guy, as a guy who, you know, you would draw penalties, you would take penalties, you would throw the gloves down. Guys like you and Ty Domi were never um, the biggest guys on the ice. But like, what do you think of the decline of the enforcer in the NHL? Like nowadays, it's just not becoming a popular thing. But at the end of the day, if you were to play with a guy like McDavid, for example, Mc, nobody would ever touch McDavid, right? But nowadays, you, you don't have those guys. It's just not an NHL thing anymore. Well, Cassian's doing a pretty good job. I'll give him a little bit of credit out there. And I've, yeah. He's done uh, a pretty good job of riding shotgun with uh, Connor. But listen, I, I – I can do without some of the stage fighting business and I don't mind that that's kind of gone um, to the wayside. But at the end of the day, I, I, I miss the passion. I miss some of the uh, personality of the game. I miss some of the um, 
drawing the fans into it with a little bit of a hatred towards some of the players in the other team. It seems like now these kids all grow up with each other uh, playing either minor hockey with or against each other, and they're all buddies, and social media has kind of put a damper on the uh, the hatred part of the, the side of things. And listen, I, I don't like uh, seeing certain things in the game. I never did, um, but I had the, a role to play, and I tried to play it. And um, people didn't think fondly of it at the time, but, you know, it, things happen for a reason. I'm a big believer in that, and uh, us playing the Ottawa Senators four times in the playoffs uh, – really made for an outstanding rivalry and great for both our fan bases. Um, I have a lot of respect. Like I said, I have a lot of respect for that organization. Um, you know, I had a lot of respect for Brian Murray and the way that he managed that team and put it together. They, they were an outstanding hockey club. They just had to run into a pretty, dark, pretty good darn team here in Toronto each and every year that was pretty physical. Yeah. And one thing I really respect about you is, you weren't just a guy who was on the ice taking runs at people and stuff. You weren't just an enforcer. You you actually got points behind your name throughout your career. And nowadays, it's kind of that if you're going to be an enforcer, you need to be an enforcer who can skate and score as well, right? And yep. there just isn't as many natural guys who can skate, play, and still enforce. Um, so that's one of the things that I've always respected about you that I thought was really cool. Um, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, and and I honestly I kind of like to compare you like you're not as big of a guy as 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 Ryan Reeves, but like Ryan Reeves, he could throw down, but he's also got some pretty decent hands, right? Or Alex Tuck in Vegas as well, same concept, tough guys, yeah. but they can they can score. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of my favorite players in the in the league now is Tom Wilson. Um, and you know he grew up here in Toronto. I've known him since he was a little lad. And uh, funny enough, uh, when um, when he's asked who one of his favorite players growing up, uh, it was always me. And I really appreciate that. I think Tommy's got a game that uh, translates to being able to put the puck in that he can play on any line, right up from the third line to the first line. He rides shotgun great for Ovechkin. Um, and he fits in nicely with that group. So there's guys like that that are still around the league. Um, it's just uh, they're becoming more of a unicorn than anything else uh, these days in, in the National Hockey League. As on the topic of uh, fighting, I was looking at your hockey fights page. You, you fought some scary dudes. Uh, got Kevin BX on there, Derek Dorsett, Brian Boyle, former Sens, uh, Chris Neal, and Yarko Rutu as well. And I even saw Dale Hunter down on the list, which I thought <laughs> was pretty cool. Um, I was wondering if there's any of those stood out to you and if there's any, uh, like, oh, shit, I bit off too much I could chew or maybe the, the gloves hit the ice too early. Any of uh, those moments you could share? Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, I ran from Chris Neal from the start of the time he came into the league till uh, the end of my career. Uh, that one fight, I think I uh, had made a mistake and didn't know it was actually him. I thought I thought it was somebody else. But uh, I was lucky to get out of that one, uh, carrying my teeth in my mouth, and uh, uh, the shiners were not too big. So, um, yeah, you always... Going into those situations, I never fought um, in a stage thing. Mine was all built on emotion and in the course of the game. And somehow I found myself in some situations that I probably shouldn't have been in. But uh, my dad always said to me when I was a young guy, you better, when you're going to do it, you better be in it. Because if you're not in it, you're going to get your arse kicked. So uh, from the drop of the gloves, I was uh, gritting my teeth and firing away. Yeah, I guess it comes with the territory as a, an emotional player. Yeah, absolutely. I think emotion is 
and like I said, I think some of the emotion for, uh, of the game has has been lost in in the, the friendship of it all. Um, you know, I I really believe that, and I think you know sometimes as a fan when I'm watching it, I'm like, man, I'd like to see a little bit more uh, dislike for the opposition. Well, and that's one of the things that, that bothers me today is you go on social media and you'll see. You know, Crosby was skating with McKinnon and Brad Marchand and this guy and that guy. You know, they're in camp together. Or sorry, they're in uh, they're training together over the summer. And then yep. you watch a hockey game, and you know, they're chirping each other a little bit. And you're like, Are you going to text him after and ask him if he wants to go for dinner? Like, yeah, it, it, it takes away from the imagination, right? It's like that moment you found out wrestling was fake growing up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, exactly. I, I remember that moment vividly as a kid. I used to watch wrestling all the time, and I was like, This is not real. What the heck's going on? <laughs> Um, now I'm going to assume you've had a crazy career and, and feel free to get as clean or as dirty with this as you want. Okay. I call this segment, it's called story time. Can yep. you give us a story? It, it could be a hotel room story, a locker room story, an <laughs> story, or anything, a story that's either unheard or just really fun. Wow. Uh, yeah, listen, uh, there's plenty that, uh, we could sit, we could probably sit here all night and tell stories about, uh, uh, hockey players and bus rides and trains and planes and all those sorts of things that go on. I'll give you a, a pretty clean one. I was in Colorado at the end of my career and we had a young kid uh, come into our team, uh, TJ Galliardi. And uh, when young guys kind of come in, you know, you give them a little bit of a ribbing, but uh, TJ liked to dress fairly uh, uh, promptly and abrupt, like, you know, very uh, tight and buttoned up. So, he bought a pair of uh, suede shoes and he was so excited about them. And Adam Foote and I had uh, taken the morning skate off that day and we were going on the road that afternoon and uh, he'd left his shoes uh, in his uh, locker. And we took a, a Sharpie and wrote uh, a size nine on the back of them like bowling shoes. And he had to wear them for the whole road trip. It looked like he had bowling shoes on for the whole road trip. And the, everybody that saw him was like, man, Dude, you forgot to take the bowling shoes off when you left the bowling alley. <laughs> he was so <laughs> upset about it. Like every night we went out for dinner, he's like, "Man, this sucks." Like, you guys had to do this to me. Like everybody's looking at me like I got bowling shoes on. <laughs> so he he full blown you that he had that, and you guys made him wear it as part of the hazing uh, ritual. No, he just only had one pair of shoes in that trip. <laughs> he, had no, he had no choice. And he was too cheap to go buy a new pair, so he wore them the whole trip. <laughs> I was going to say he needs to take a, a trip to Foot Locker or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you played with a lot of hockey figures, uh, great hockey figures through your career. Uh, Pat Quinn, legend Matt Sundin, um, with and for players and coaches I'm talking about. Yep. Um, and even Adam Foot in Colorado later in your career. Uh, any Anyone that sticks out as the most influential player or coach that you came across in your career you could even go back to Kamloops in your junior days yeah so listen I got some uh, pretty good people that uh, helped mentor me through my career you know starting Kamloops with Don Hay Don Hay was the most influential person in my young career uh, when I was a young guy um, and I got drafted by the Montreal Canadiens and Shane Corson got traded back there um, you know obviously we're brother-in-laws now I ended up marrying his sister and uh we have a bond that uh, goes beyond hockey. Um, started with hockey and goes beyond hockey. Uh, we're close. We're tight. We're like family. Lives right across the road from me here in Toronto. So um, that's another one. And then I wouldn't be the same husband, father, uh, dad, 
um, you know, person that I am today without uh, Pat Quinn's um, guidance. Pat taught me a lot about myself. Uh, he let me be me. Uh, he never, he never, uh, you know, got in the way of me showing my personality. And I always appreciated that. Now, the, you know, the, I'll give you the story about Alfredson hit. So I, I, Alfredson hit me in the playoffs that year. And then the, I think it was following year, two years later, maybe even after the lockout, I had trained all summer and I was super upset and I was going to get back at Alfie for sure. And I think it was a one, one tie or one nothing game in the third period. And I took a bad penalty on Alfie and they ended up tying the game. And I think they ended up winning it in a shootout. And I was in my locker at the end of the game. And I got a tap from the trainer on the shoulder and the trainer came in and said, Pat wants to see him in, in his office. And Pat never wanted to see anybody in his office. He wanted to get straight to the drinking the scotch after the game and smoking his stogie. So I'm like, wow, this must be something big. So I go into his office and I, I'm pretty in shape at that point in my career. So I've got my shirt off and I'm just sitting in my core shorts. And he said to me, he goes, uh, pour yourself a scotch, son. And I'm like, so I pour myself a scotch. He's got his big stogie hanging out of his mouth. And he goes, what do you think about that uh, play you made there in the third period to take that penalty? I'm like, well, Pat, I, you know, listen, that, that hit, you know, I broke my shoulder in the playoffs two years ago or last year. And he's like, let me stop you right there. He goes, Tom Lysiak hit me with a dirty hit. I waited 12 years to get that goddamn bastard back, and you couldn't wait one goddamn game? What the hell's wrong with you? Now get the hell out of my office. Uh, uh, Pat Quinn, that man was did more yep. for hockey than most people imagine, and I'm going to assume there's so much behind-the-scenes stuff that he's done for hockey that people don't even know about. And yeah, that he's was an amazing man. An absolutely amazing man. A hockey man, a family man. Um and Pat lived life, man. He was he was the type of guy that was a guy's guy. He was a hockey player, even though he was a coach. In his mind, he was still a hockey player. Um, and guys appreciated that. Guys, you know, guys would have went through a wall for that that man. Amen. Um, so I want to end it off with asking you a little bit more about the Battle of Ontario current state. So obviously, right now, if you are on social media, you notice that the Battle of Ontario is mostly between fans. You go to you watch an Auto Toronto game, and it's just like watching any other game nowadays. Now everybody knows that Austin Matthews and the Tuchucks are pretty much like a like a family, but everybody knows Tuchuck. Tuchuck doesn't care. Yeah. Do you think playing each other? I think it's nine times, and with Brady Tuchuck in the roster, we can reignite the flame between Toronto and Ottawa this season. Well, I I will say this: uh, Calgary and Ottawa are super lucky to have competitive people and competitive players that played the game the way those two boys play the game. Um, I love watching them. I love watching the way they play hockey. Um, and yes, I think that uh, the battle of Ontario is going to get back to the battle of Ontario uh, very soon, because when you have that many games against each other, it won't be just the fans that don't like each other. It's going to be the players as well at some point. And uh, it's going to be fun to watch. I'm, Hey, listen, I always tune in when when there's games like that. Um, the old feelings come rushing back. The funny thing about COVID brought a, a ton of memories back for, I think, a lot of us because they put those games back on TV and, and replayed them. And, um, you know, to relive them with my kids and sit there in the living room and watch it. Uh, man, I, I almost got teary-eyed a few times just, you know, thinking about it and, and being a part of something so special in Ontario and, uh, two great teams that went at it and battled hard and 
had a lot of fun doing it. And and since then, both teams have kind of gone through a rebirth, and I think we're all kind of just waiting um, for for that flame to reignite. We're all waiting for the Battle of Ontario to come back because, like I said, for guys like Steve and I, we grew up watching that, and that was the best hockey we've ever watched to date. And that's what we want to see, right? Not necessarily the blood and the teeth and yep. the and coaches getting hit in the face with pucks and getting black eyes. And yep. I mean, we don't want to see all that. But at, at the end of the day, it's 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 not just about the skill. It's not just about the speed. It's it's about it's about the fun part of it is, yep. is the natural rivalry, the hatred. Yep. Um, you know, it's the competitiveness between two teams, between the fans. And you know, it, at the end of the day, I think that's what uh, Ontario needs. In order to get that hockey fire back, I, I agree with you totally, guys. I, I like I said, I grew up in Alberta. I watched the Battle of uh, Alberta when I was a kid, and it was uh, lights out, the best hockey I've ever seen in my life. So, hopefully, we can get back to a, some sort of uh, ignite igniting of that uh, flame when it comes to the Battle of Ontario. And you know, listen, we've got some pretty good hockey players on both sides, so it should be interesting to watch. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for joining us, Darcy. Um, again, uh, I'm lucky to have gotten, uh, I'm going to call you a least legend because that's what you are, on an Ottawa Senators podcast. So we truly appreciate it. Uh, and to our viewers and listeners, uh, don't forget to like this video and subscribe. Uh, again, Darcy, we thank you for, for your time, buddy. I appreciate it. And uh, make sure when I show up in Ottawa that uh, you let me into the city uh, boundaries. I like Ottawa. I like the city of Ottawa. So... <laughs> Uh, no hard feelings and uh, had a lot of fun over the years and hopefully you guys did too. I'll tweet the mayor. Thanks boss. Sounds good. Appreciate it guys. Thank you, Darcy. Have a good Thanks. night. Have a good one.